Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton and not joining me today, my friend, my neighbor, my frenemy, my co-host, Mr. Mark Daly, and that could mean only one thing, that this is a continuation of our interview series. Now, before we get started, I wanted to make sure to give a quick shout out to Tatiana's social media channels. She can be found on Instagram at T-A-T-A-C-A-L-D-E-7. She can also be found on Twitter at T-A-T-A-C-A-L-D-E. And of course, you can also find us on Twitter at Skidaria F1 pod. Now, as things are, as things go in the world of motorsports, we've got to take a quick break to pay some of those proverbial bills, but we will be joined by Tatiana on the other side. See everyone in just a second. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton and joining me Again, we're incredibly excited about this. We've been teasing for a very, very, very long time. But joining us today is the myth, the legend, Tatiana Calderon. Tatiana, how are you? Hey, Mark. Thanks so much for uh, the introduction. And I'm really happy to be able to share a little bit of my story with you today. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. And that's, I think, what we're really excited to talk about today is your background, how you got into motorsports, how your motorsports career developed. But before we get started, knowing that our audience is largely new to open wheel racing and largely new to Formula One, how would you introduce yourself and what would you want people to know about you? <laughs> I think that's a, a really good 
question. And I think I'm, I'm very passionate about what I do, which is trying to, to make, um, all the cars that are jumping go to, to the limit, um, of it performance <laughs> and, um, and have fun doing that. So, um, been privileged enough to, to have raced in many series, uh, below Formula One. I have tested a Formula One car and I've been around the world pursuing that, uh, passion. So, that's how I would describe describe my my life and my career so far. I cannot wait to hear about your experiences with a Formula One car. I think something that most people could only dream about. But the question I have to start with is this, and all of our listeners, when we have a driver on, are really interested in how that person got into motorsport. So I think my initial question for you is, do you remember the first time that you went to a karting track and when was it? Absolutely. I think um, I started actually when I was nine years old, but it it all came very natural. Like it was because my sister uh, she's like eight years older than me. And she took me to a rental go-kart track near her house in, in Colombia because all her friends got bored after a few a few tries. And then she was <laughs> like, okay, I'm, I'm going to take her <laughs> just not to go alone. And uh, we bought a five-minute ticket and I fall in love with speed, with the adrenaline. I've always been a sports lover. Um, but that day really, really changed completely. Like uh, I thought like, whoa. I, I really like this. So uh, we were going there every day after school. And it was actually by the time Juan Pablo Montoya was reaching Formula One. So everyone was waking up uh, to watch his races. And we convinced our parents to buy us a go-kart. And that's how this crazy story uh, started. So it was very natural. But um, I think it was yeah love at first sight uh, for me. And that was going to be my next question, which is, your sister took you. She's been a big part, I think, of your life and, and your career, especially as it relates to motorsport. But how did your parents react when you went home and you talked to your mom and you talked to your dad and you said, this is something I really enjoy? Were they apprehensive? Were they nervous? Were they supportive? Or did it take a little bit of convincing to get them on board with the idea of you competing? It took a little bit of convincing, obviously. I think more <laughs> my mom, I would say, because uh, my dad has always been a big fan of, of motorsports, of uh, motorbikes, uh, cars, but he never really raced, but he, he loved, um, all, all of racing stuff. Um, and my mom, she was like, you sure you don't want to go play tennis? And I was like, <laughs> uh, give me, give me one more chance. Right. So I think it was, yeah, about to, to convince them that I really wanted this. So they've always been super supportive, but they did made it difficult to just find out how bad I wanted it. Cause at the end of the day as well is a, is very expensive sport. Uh, it's not common to see girls yet, although we are, we are starting to see more. And it's something that in my family, nobody has ever raised. So we didn't really know what, what to look for, where to start. And, uh, so it was, yeah, a bit, a bit more convincing to, to do. When you were in a cart for the first time, or maybe one of the first times you were in the cart, what was it about the experience of being out there on the track that you found so addictive, so intoxicating? Yeah, I think it's the constant pushing yourself to go quicker on every corner, on every lap, and and discovering sometimes that what, what you thought was the limit, uh, it's it's not not a limit really you you can just continue to push and 
this harmony sometimes that you need to be in link with the cart, uh, with the car, that it makes whatever you want it to do. And um, finding that, it's something that uh, I'm very passionate about. Um, so, yeah, I, I like pushing myself um, further and further. It's been reported, or or maybe you've been quoted in the past as saying that when you were younger and you first started competing, some of the competitors on the track could be awfully physical with you on the track, maybe maybe testing to see where your limits were. How did you respond, and, and how did this more brutal type of karting influence your racecraft and the way that you developed? Yeah, it was... You know, I'm very shy and I, I like always to, to win cl cleanly, like, you know, to make my passes clean, not touch anybody. I, I would never do something that it's out of the rules, right? Um, because I just want to prove that I'm, that I'm better or that I have to work to get better. Um, but it was at the beginning and I remember it perfectly you know the first time I was leading a race and then this guy who was second he just threw me out of the track couldn't finish the race and I was so sad and so upset and then um, you know I thought like okay well if that's the way I have to be in order to win a race because I want to win a race well I, I will pay them with the same uh, the same way you know because I, I need to earn that respect because they were just Every time, just because I didn't do anything, they would keep crashing me out of the track. And then, yeah, my dad also said, like, okay, just just go and kick them out and see what happens. And and that's what I did. <laughs> and that's why got me the, the respect, because next time they, they thought twice before kicking me out of the track. And that's how sort of everything, in a way, has been in, in my career so far. Um, just because, you know, there has not been that many females and, and maybe you to earn their respect, um, it's a little bit harder. You jumped into a cart for the first time when you were nine. So it was probably the early 2000s when you probably started getting pretty competitive and started competing and, and traveling. How was how was the reception to to your presence on the track then? Were people aside from the other drivers were they pretty pretty accommodating, pretty welcoming, pretty excited to see um, a girl on the track, or was it quite different that people were very apprehensive or maybe a little bit surprised that there was a young girl out of the track competing with them in what's historically been a male dominated sport? Yeah, I think at the beginning, you know, before you jump in the cart or before your performance um, becomes n noticeable. Um, I think, you know, everybody smiles, everyone wants to have you. Um, like, you know, they, they were very helpful. What do you need? What can we do? Um, but the minute it starts to change is when you start to be competitive because you start to be a threat, right? And they don't want their boys to be beaten by a girl, especially not by anybody, but especially not by a girl. And you, this, this starts to change. So people start not to greet you. Um, they start to say that you're cheating, that you have a better engine, that blah, 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 etc. Finding excuses to find why this girl is actually better than the boys. So that, that really was, was a change that I was probably not, not expecting. And, and, 
because you know everyone was so friendly before uh, but yeah, the, the minute you start to be competitive, things start to change very quickly. As uh, a lot of young boys and, and girls do in, in North and Central and South America, I think they grow up aspiring to race in Indy, that Indy is really the dominant, preeminent open wheel racing series in this hemisphere. And I think early on, that was maybe your vision as well. But at some point you pivoted and your focus turned to Europe and you eventually ended up in the FIA Formula three championship and your career went from there but maybe talk a little bit about what that adjustment was like that you're racing closer to home or you're in south america or at least north america it's a couple of hours flight away from colombia but now all of a sudden you're in an entirely different place talk about what the catalyst for that change was and how you adjusted to racing in europe yeah i think you know i, I was having a great time here in in america um when i started like in karting because as you said it was much closer to competing karting in the united states than go all the way to europe uh for my studies for everything so um i i think it's it's a very different type of working uh culture um yeah, like literally everything changed for me since I, I left the, the United States and went to compete in Europe and until, you know, you learn all the tracks. You are, um, there are very different type of culture when you work with a French team or Spanish team or Italian or um, from United Kingdom. So it's, it's such a dif different world out there. Um, the cars, the tires so many differences that it took me a while to get used to um, to the European racing. Um, and there are things that I, I like more about American way of think of, of doing things um, maybe than, than the, the, the European side. Uh, it, there's always positives and, and negatives, right? But I, I feel there's a big, big change in the way people work. Um, and their their attitude as well towards female drivers maybe um so it's it's been nice as well to experience all that but it was very tough at times and i remember that yeah the first time i moved to europe it was pursuing that formula one dream because although there are people that go from from the united states to uh to racing formula one um there's still the knowledge of the tracks and and being closer to the decision making from from people there um was a way to go for for me and i'm i'm very happy that i did all this this hard um uh school let's let's say in <laughs> in europe to finally be coming back to indycar much more prepared than than when i left the united states uh, 12 years ago Sergio Perez uh, said in an interview once, and like you, he went to Europe at a very young age to pursue competitive motorsports. And he talked a lot about how, forget what was happening on the track, but how culturally challenging it was that he went from Mexico and it's warm and it's sunny and Spanish and everyone's welcoming and he's got lots of family. And then he's in a small town in Germany and the culture shock itself can sometimes be devastating for for young drivers is is that something that you experienced or was the motorsports just so intense that it occupied all of your focus no actually you know it was really hard at the beginning because it's it's like that you know you're you're there alone it's cold um people are very 
it's different. Latinos, we are very, very warm. We do jokes. We, um, yeah, we take life, in, we see life in a different way. Um, and, and it takes time to, to adapt. So also, I think the best performance from a driver or an athlete comes when, when you're happy in the environment you're in. And, you know, you need to, to adjust to those changes. So at the beginning, maybe the results were also are more compromised because of all these aspects that you need to, to learn. So it, it takes more time for us to adapt to, to that kind of, uh, racing and, uh, lifestyle. But at the end of the day, you, you just find your, your rhythm after after a while but it's it's really hard at the beginning so i would agree with sergio on on that our listeners often reach out and and ask me you know if i was to step into a formula one car today how fast would my lap be and not that i would have any comprehension but i usually explain to them that nobody can simply step into a formula one car there's feeder series like f2 and gp3 and formula 3 and all these series because it's all about preparing you mentally and physically for the experience of driving a formula one car nobody's prepared to just step into one of those cars you competed in the fia formula 3 european championship in 13 14 15 how did that car compare to anything because I kind of want to set the stage for your Formula One experience but how did driving that car compare to anything that you driven before and how was it different I think I I was lucky um, those years in Formula 3 the car was so nice um, it was a Dallara chassis with a lot of downforce maybe not not so much power on the engine so compare it to a formula 2 car or even yeah a formula 1 car an indy car you have less horsepower but you can carry a lot of speed through the corners which is more similar to what you can do in a formula 1 car and i was racing against max verstappen stevan ocon charles leclerc on those series so the level was extremely high yet also it was a little bit less regulated than, than nowadays. So you could, there are a lot of things that the team could develop, like similar to, to Formula One teams, obviously in a different scale, but there are a lot of things in the car that you could change, you could develop. And that gives you knowledge as a driver of, okay, I can, I can adjust this and uh, I can adjust this other thing. And that just brings you technical knowledge that, I have used a lot in the different series that I've then competed after that. So I think it was a great, um, tough environment for me to learn. And I think there's no better, uh, way to learn that to be against the best, right? Cause that's, there's nowhere to hide. You know exactly where you're at and what you need to focus on. And that's what Formula 3 gave to me. Um, it showed me where I need to improve. Um, and gave me that, that great, um, yeah, balance of, of where I stand. In the most recent series of the Netflix show Drive to Survive, Susie Wolf appeared a number of times and her appearances resonated really well with newcomers and longstanding F1 fans alike. In the past, it's been written that you've had a really strong relationship with fellow driver Susie Wolf. How did this relationship influence your development and your approach to racing? Well, I think it was, um, it came at the right time, right? Cause sometimes, you know, you have to see it to believe it. And she was, um, 
testing in uh, being a test driver for Williams in Formula One. And I was like, okay, that this is possible. And then I, I met her and she, um, she was actually managing me for, for a couple of years and gave me really good advice. So um, I'm very grateful for all that she um, gave to, to my career, all the advice that, uh, that, that she has given me and it's great to to know you know that some of the struggles that i have found uh during during some of my years it was not just just me you know so uh it's it's nice to to share with somebody that that has gone through some some of those uh, challenges as well and how she dealt with them it 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 helped me a lot and hopefully you know we can all the doors that she opened and that i try to to keep open that we can continue to to um to strive for for more girls in this sport another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. In 2019, you made headlines across the motorsports world by entering the Formula 2 championship with Arden. It was the first time that a woman had competed in that championship what was the response that you found um, from the media and from fellow drivers and, and from the fans alike when you suited up in that racing series for the first time? And again, for all of our listeners at home, Formula 2 is really the final stop before Formula 1. It's the end of the developmental road that if you reach there, you are amongst the absolute upper echelon of talented open wheel drivers in this world. So it was for you personally, probably a momentous uh, event to have reached that level. But what was your experience and what was the response to you joining the ranks of Formula 2 drivers? Yeah, I think I have mixed feelings from my season in Formula 2. Obviously, it's it's great to, you know, to lead the way in, in such a competitive and physical championship, a very physical car to drive because um, compared to Formula 1 where you have power steering, where your seat is made exactly for you everything uh you know the steering the pedals everything's suited for you perfectly and in formula 2 that that is different because all the cars are supposed to be the same um so there are a lot of things that you cannot change and it's a very physical car to drive as well so i think it was it's a privilege to to be there to be just racing hours before formula one which is your your ultimate uh dream but it was also a tough um a tough environment for me to uh to go into as as a rookie um and i think i learned a lot from i think you learn a lot from um tough moments and uh, i had to leave a lot of tough moments in formula two and that have made me a much better person a much better driver and that there's still i feel like a bit of unfinished business there but but uh it has led me here so um, i'm i'm really happy to to have gone through that and show that a girl can can handle the physicality of of a of a big car and hopefully get more chances in the future you you've said in the past that women 
by nature have less muscle mass than than men and that your workout and your exercise regime reflects that. Talk a little bit about the things that you need to do yourself physically to prepare for the incredible physical nature of driving a Formula 2 car or maybe driving a Formula 1 car. Yeah, a lot of people, you know, sometimes when you watch the onboard cameras, it doesn't seem so physical, right? But when you're sitting there at, um, I don't know, 40 degrees uh, with your suit on, with your helmet on, you have very little air coming through. Um, hydration is, is a big part of it. Uh, the G-forces that go through your body in both Formula 2 and Formula 3 are incredible. Like, you know, you have to hold your head with more than 40 kilos uh, to be able to just drive a Formula One car. Um, let's not say explore the limits, but just to, to do a lap around. Uh, there's a lot of physicality on that. Your, um, your uh, heart rate is between 150 and 170 for two hours. Um, in IndyCar or in Formula 2, you don't have that power steering. So it's it's extremely demanding. And of course, as a female, we have 30% less lean muscle than men. Um, our bodies are, are different. The way we have to train also is different than nutrition, everything. So there's a, still a lot of research that needs to be done for, for us. Um, I have done mine uh, in intuitive so i i have you know focus more on on certain specific muscles that at the end of the day will make the difference to drive a car because it doesn't mean that if you're super big you'll be able to you'll be driving driver fit right there's a lot of big guys that are that struggle <laughs> really massively because there's some really specific muscles that you need so i have target those um the multitasking the coordination um, the reaction is something that, that we train daily because it's, you know, five minutes, my five minutes, uh, five meters too late on the braking, you're in the wall, right? And at 300 kilometers an hour, five meters are like one tenth. Right? So <laughs> it's, it's extremely demanding on, of concentration as well. In the 2019 season, racing in Formula 2, you had the opportunity to race at Baku, a race you actually led at one point. And I remember that season, my wife and I paid special attention to the Formula 2 championship because you were actually contending in it. But that race, that track has become an absolute fan favorite. Maybe talk a little bit about your experience of Baku. Is it as... I don't know, thrilling to drive on as it is to watch, or is it a very, very nerve wracking place to race, especially some of those sharp street corners? Well, I think now that I've been in IndyCar, there are <laughs> very, like more challenging places than, than Baku, I would say, but I think it has a great combination of, you know, it produces great racing because there are a lot of opportunities for overtaking. So sometimes, you know, when you have a bad qualifying, um, you start from the back in some places and particularly on street circuits like Monaco, um, where qualifying is everything. In Baku, on the contrary, you, you have a big chance of making those places up, uh, changing strategies and, and it was very unpredictable. And I think that's what makes racing so interesting, right? Um, so I, I really enjoy my time in, in those tricky, 
um, tricky streets of, of Baku as well because of the the layout of the of the track is just very challenging for the drivers and for the teams to um, to really know where to focus. It's it's very quick uh, in some places and and that's always challenging when you have a wall a few inches um, on on your left. <laughs> so yeah, really produces great racing. Building to the next question, which is going to be a little bit more Formula One related. How different is a Formula 2 car from a Formula 3 car? You have extensive experience, obviously, in both of them. Just how big of a jump is it going from a Formula 3 car even to a spec series Formula 2 car? I think sometimes the the jump is is higher than than what people think because it's not necessarily like the, let's say, the the speed that you carry through the corners because they're very very similar from I would say that a, a Formula 2 and a Formula 3 car is just that the Formula 2 car is, is a much heavier car. Uh, therefore, also like the physicality of it, it's um, it's higher. Um, you have maybe uh, a little bit more downforce, some more grip in the high speed corners, which also makes the steering even, even harder. Uh, you have the possibility of um, choosing two compounds of, of tires. So usually in Formula 3, you have just one compound for everybody. In Formula 2, you need to be able to adapt so quickly. Like you have uh, one compound that you use in free practice. Um, and then straight into qualifying, you have two laps and you you have to adapt to this different compound that you have not tested in the track before. So it's that's why you see so many drivers spending so many years in Formula 2 because by the time you know, okay, this is what I need to do to adapt my driving from free practice to qualifying, um, it's it's one thing. And then through the races, you know, in, in free practice, you only do like 10, 12 laps. It's only 45 minutes, uh, like very good laps. And then in the race, you ha- you got to figure out, adapt so quickly to to this, this car that you haven't uh, tested before with that amount of fuel, um, which is very different than, than in Formula 3. So although the style is quite quite similar and and if they give you a day you can be quick straight away in formula 2 what makes it more difficult is the limited amount of time that you have in a race weekend to produce that lap time um and that's i think the the biggest change in in that regard in 2018 you became the test slash development driver for Alfa Romeo Sauber F1 team. And from 19 to 21, you were the test driver for Alfa Romeo Racing. Obviously, incredibly exciting. How did that relationship come to fruition? And when it was originally announced, what was the reaction back home in, in Colombia? Well, it was a, an amazing part of, of my life. And I think I, um, you know, it started, the relationship started when Monisha Kaltenborn was um, the team principal for for the team so she she gave me that, that first chance to to show what i could do in in a formula one car in a development role uh just doing the simulator and then i earned my place to uh to then try the the actual car and i feel like it was a 
you know, sometimes you need that continuity. And I felt like part of, of the family that it was the team. Everybody welcomed me with, with open arms. Um, you know, when you do your first seat feed where everything is made to measure for you, uh, you have so many people um, giving you the right information to, to go quicker that sometimes you don't have access to, you know, you have to think that there are 40 engineers or, or more at the track that are there to make the car better. Um, when in Formula 2 or Formula 3, you have one race engineer. So it's, it's a very, a very different aspect, but that helps you a lot as a driver. And, um, I'm very grateful for all the years that I've spent there because that had really developed me as a driver. And obviously one of the best memories of my career is driving that Formula 1 car for the first time out of the garage. Uh, it's something very, very special uh, that I will never forget. We'll talk about that a little bit because you did a really great job of explaining the difference in experience between an F3 car and an F2 car. The first time you got into an F1 car, what were your expectations for that first lap once you got in some heat in the tires? And what was the actual experience? Was it faster than you expected? Did it break harder than you expected? All of the above? It did everything so much better than you ever expect, which is a which is a problem because <laughs> after you've driven that, you're like chasing that for uh, like you go back to your F2 car and you're like, this thing doesn't go, this doesn't break, doesn't have any grip. And uh, it was incredible. Uh, the acceleration, the braking power, the grip that those cars have, it's unreal. Like everything comes at you so quickly that it's it's a huge step uh, when, you, when you go from any car to a Formula One car. So it's something very unique and special. And I'm, I'm really happy that I, I got to drive one of the quickest cars in, in this generation in the world because they, they broke all the records, right? So, um, I'm really happy that I, I got to experience that and I'm still chasing or trying to, to be there back again in the future. Uh, of course, would love to, to join Formula One again. Many years ago, I think flashback to 2019 when Nicholas Latifi was still in Formula 2, we had interviewed him and he had tested at that point for Force India in his reaction. Because we asked him the same question, you know, what is the difference between a Formula 2 car and a Formula 1 car? And his response was exactly the same as yours, that you can't prepare yourself. And then once you've had that experience, there's... There's no going back. In in recent years, we've had a couple of fairly high-profile uh, Formula One test slash development drivers and Alex Albon and Esteban Ocon. And obviously, they've had the experience of driving in Formula One cars, so they can be seen sometimes more of a, as a household name. Uh, but they also brought to the forefront this concept of the test driver or the development driver. And one of the things that we've learned in interviews with both Esteban and with Alexander Albon is the amount of work that they put into the team to support the development of that car is absurd that they're often at the factory first thing in the morning after a Grand Prix Sunday, putting in the hours in the simulator, putting in the time on the track. Talk a little bit about the role of a test driver or a development driver. What does your normal calendar look like? How much time do you spend in the sim? How much time do you spend at the track with the team? Yeah, I think um, obviously the um, 
my role was a little bit different because I was still racing like in, in Formula 2 uh, or in Formula 3. So obviously that takes priority, but straight after a race weekend, it's, you know, when, when you have these tools these days, like the simulator, it's extremely um, useful when you can do like a right after the, the event, you go in the simulator and you say, this feels different. You need to change that to to make it more like it feels in in reality, and therefore develop the simulator so that next time that you are at a racetrack or in that particular place, that you can use um, the previous like before every event, you go to the simulator to to prepare that race, and you prepare changes to the car so that when it happens in in reality, you know where to go to um so it's extremely important for the drivers to to have that correlation with the simulator and understand um uh, that everything they learn there they can actually put in the in in reality um and it's really important to have that um to understand on which direction to go because in formula one you can do so many so many things that in other series you can't um, to develop the car and the technologies is incredible. So that's part of a big part of, of being a test driver or a development driver. And that means many hours in the simulator. I, I have also done, you know, you, you do more than 160 laps on the simulator. And we know a Grand Prix is like maybe 70 or 80 laps. So you probably do twice as much just testing different things and having those um, that data to analyze with the engineers and see where you can improve. Having had the opportunity to be around a Formula One team and the engineers and the mechanics and put time into the sim and drive the car, what type of skills did you develop that are maybe transferable that helped you back in Formula 3 and, and Formula 2 and some of the other series that you've competed in? So there's so much information in Formula 1. I, I think they, they don't have time to look at all those, like the amount of sensors that you have in the car from tire temperatures, tire pressures, um, from the differential, from so many uh, small details that at the end make a huge difference that you don't have that access in in Formula 2. But once you see what it does to the performance, like five degrees of tire temperature can mean that, that you can go one second quicker because you have grip. And if you have five um, degrees less of tire um, temperature, then the car behaves very differently, yet it's still the same setup. And you can then try and and make sure that, you know, when you jump in a Formula 2 car, you're looking at the right information that can give you or lead you to a better performance. And that I only found with working with, with a Formula 1 team and knowing how they operated and how they look at um, certain factors um, that could influence really highly on, on the performance of the car. So I think that was very um, very good for me and knowing how to communicate better with your engineers because when you have 40 engineers and they're asking you about all these little <laughs> things in the car and you were like okay I, I used to just drive you know uh, uh, but I need to look at so many other things that can 
help out. So um, that was eye-opening uh, for me. And uh, yeah, I love all these little details of, of data. And it was a te technically um, understanding the dynamics of the car has helped me a lot with being part of a Formula One team. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to shift a little bit to the business side of motorsports. And for everybody listening at home, I don't think there's any surprise that motorsports is expensive. It's expensive to compete in karting. And those costs don't decrease over time as a driver accelerates through the different series and the different racing ladders. Those costs only increase. We we were talking to Amber Balkin a couple of months ago, who's racing now in NASCAR in the United States. And I had asked her a question. I'm like, just how much of your time is spent coordinating sponsorships? So seeking new sponsors, supporting sponsors, doing supporting sponsorship. And she said that 99% of her time is related to keeping, securing, and creating new sponsors. And we were talking to Megan Gilks a few months ago, who competed in W Series in 2019. In fact, the youngest W Series winner. But I was talking to her about her racing campaign this year. And I was like, well, good luck this weekend, because she was going off to Brands Hatch, I think, to race. And she was like, well, you know, I haven't secured the funding necessary to race on this coming Sunday, which I think kind of reinforces to me just how serious a role or how significant a role sponsorship plays in motorsports. Throughout your career, how involved have you had to be in securing and brokering sponsorship agreements that would enable you to keep racing? Yeah, I, it's it's incredible and I get surprised every day about the the prices the increase of like you said you know the higher you go the more money you need to spend on in in motorsports and hopefully it will change at some point um to make it more accessible but it's i couldn't agree more you know you spend much more time off track trying to find sponsors trying to find the right fit for you what uh with in terms of um teams and how much budget you have available because unfortunately you know you the, the more budget you have maybe the better teams you can choose and go knock the door too so it's uh it's a big part of 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 our jobs there these days so um also because testing is so restrictive uh therefore it's a little bit cheaper but you spend much more time just knocking doors trying to find the the sponsorship and it it gets really hard because it's 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 a lot of money um from uh, to to go racing in in the big series i come from colombia where you know the Colombian pesos, when you turn it into US dollars or euros, you, you lose four times and it's, it's tough because there are other sports or other sport persons that with that money, you can maybe uh, sponsor more people, right? But it's, um, it's a lot about, yeah, finding, um, finding those opportunities. And I believe that, you know, when you work hard, um, in my career, it's been a little bit in, in that way that when I thought I had nowhere to go, something 
magically came and uh, and and saved me. So it's it's always an ongoing discussion and ongoing worry to find to find those uh, sponsors to keep them happy and and to just be able to raise, let alone win. So it's it's part of the game and you have to sort of accept it but it's um, i'm hoping that for the future generations that we can maybe try and um, find a way to make this more accessible for for people you were very much a, a trailblazer for women in the modern era of of motorsports and i think people started looking a couple of years ago at jamie chadwick as could she be the next Calderon in the sense that could she reach Formula 3, Formula 2, become a test driver, but she seems to have become stuck in the W Series because of a lack of funding to pursue her dream of competing in Formula 3 and in Formula 2. Why do you think it's so challenging for young driver and drivers and especially women to secure the funding that's necessary to advance their careers in motorsports? Yeah, unfortunately, like regardless of, of your gender, it's also very difficult to to find uh, the the funding. And I believe that also, you know, the the, the big teams sometimes they um, they rather have something. Uh, that they know will will be quick let's say um you know as a racing team you need to be willing to to survive as well to get the clients to 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 continue so they tend to go with um they tend to go with uh, the the secure choice right and and sometimes i feel like we we need uh, people to give us a, a better opportunity to to drive for for really good teams to see where we're at um and to be winning, that's that's when also you attract probably more sponsors, right? Than than if you're um, midfield. So I feel like uh, we have had a lack of opportunity in in top teams um, to be able to show our, our potential. But also, you know, when you get that chance, you need to be ready. And to be ready, you need to compete against the best, regardless of gender. And, and I believe in Formula 3, in Formula 2, in, in IndyCar, um, in Super Formula, that's where, you know, you can see the pool of, of great drivers. And I really just hope that, um, in the case of, um, of, of the W Series champion, that I, I hope that they can find a way to, to give them a, an opportunity to, to move up the ladder and to show, um, what they can do, um, because that's what the series was supposed to do in, in my understanding. So yeah, it's, it's sad to, cause I'm, I'm sure Jamie wants to, to move up the grid to move up the series. Uh, but it's sad not to see, um, the opportunity come. Last summer, you personally had an extremely successful test with AJ Foyt racing at Mid-Ohio. Um, you put in 87 flawless laps on the two and a half mile road course. This helped you secure a seat for this year for the 2022 IndyCar season, which was super exciting. They added a third car. And this is where I think sometimes the dark side of motorsports appears, which just kind of goes back to everything that we were talking about that 
at any level of motorsports, everything is contingent on that funding, funding, funding. And, you know, sometimes people reach out to me and they talk like, well, Nicholas Latifi is a pay driver and Lance Stroll, he's a pay driver. And I have to remind people that every driver in every series, with the exception of maybe Formula One and some indie seats, they're all pay drivers. They may not be paying out of pocket, but they have got a sponsor that's coming along and paying for them to be there. There's very few people in this world that are actually being paid to drive a car. After seven great starts this year, you didn't have the opportunity to start in Toronto because your primary sponsor uh, had missed some payments um, and they were unable to fulfill their funding obligations. With your IndyCar season hopefully temporarily paused, what are your next steps for 2022? And do you think there's an opportunity for that sponsor to re-engage or maybe find somebody else to backfill them and help provide some funding to get you some rides and some of the non-oval tracks for the rest of the year? Yeah, unfortunately, that's uh, that's the game sometimes, and racing can be cruel in terms of you know, like you said, you you need to secure the sponsors for the team to be able to drive, and uh, and that's the way it, it works these days. Um, and of course, the my wish would be to um, to continue with how we started the season hopefully that we can resolve and and the sponsor can resolve um the issues with the team because you know at the end they they both believe in me and they wanted to give me the chance to um to do well in my first rookie season so that would be a uh, the best scenario, but obviously we are looking at, at different options, hopefully get interest of other companies that would like to support us, uh, going ahead for, for this season and, and hopefully securing something for, for the following year. Cause, you know, as a rookie, it's been very tough, but I don't want this, um, effort to, uh, to just stop there. I would like to go to all these tracks again next year and show all what I have, um, uh, experience and all what I have learned. So hopefully, you know, if there are any companies listening to, uh, to us that, uh, they can, um, start to, to get in touch and, and continue this, this project. And on, on my side, obviously I'm, I'm pushing really hard to, you know, send all these emails to companies, talk to people and hopefully be back at some point, uh, before the end of the season. That's, that's what we're, working towards. I have a couple more questions for you and you've been a fantastic sport today, but before we will let you go, just a couple of other questions that I wanted to make sure we hit. The first is that, and I'm assuming, um, in my experience, every athlete that comes from Central or South America, whether it's Argentina or Colombia or Brazil or Mexico, they're incredibly proud of where they're from. They wear it on their sleeve and they're always proud to show off their flag. What has it meant to you to be able to represent Colombia in some of the highest levels of motorsports in the world? I think to to represent your country is something so so special, right? And I get to 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 do that around the world. Uh, you know, when I go back home uh, for for Christmas, usually, and you go to the same track where you started, and and you think, well, how far have I come? Thanks to to all the people that also helped me uh, reach my my goals. So, um, coming from from a small country uh, that I think is very talented and has a lot to offer, it's uh, it's really nice to um, to feel that that passion and that support from from home. So I hope that. Yeah, more and more uh, 
people from Colombia will rise uh, and and see that it becomes more natural to see racing drivers in, in our country. For all of the parents at home that might be interested in getting their kids into karting, and there's an awful lot of them because we hear from them all the time, what advice would you have for those parents? I think you have to support uh, your kids' uh, dreams and uh, passions. So I would encourage them to 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 try new things sometimes you know that's how I got um, interested in in karting uh, was because I tried it and I loved it and sometimes I feel like maybe the parents they they take their boys more than the girls to their to the go-kart track but I think that they can share that and and see how far they can come <laughs> but I would say that nothing is impossible you know that's how I I started and passion has has brought me all the way here the love for what I do and that's the most important thing when when you're a child that you you know what you love to do and and that your parents support you so I encourage you to to support your kids' dreams. One last question, and this one's a little bit funner, but we ask every driver that's ever been on the show this question. When you play Super Mario Kart, if you've ever played the Nintendo Super Mario Kart game, who is your go-to driver? Who do you typically race as? I I have. So I I always choose um, Wario. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Because he was like really fat, so you could, you know, just go... uh, or Joshi, which was really, really quick. I so love it. I, I would choose between those two. <laughs> Tatiana, I cannot thank you enough for joining us today. I know I promised we'd keep this to about 30 minutes and we went over, but I cannot thank you enough. Uh, this has been amazing. We obviously wish you nothing but the best for the rest of the season. We know that if not Indy in the immediate future, it's going to come, it's going to happen. Um, and we hope to see you continue to compete rocking the Colombian flag for many, many years into the future. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, for sharing my story, and I hope to see you at a racetrack very soon. Fantastic. And for everyone listening at home, of course, remember to subscribe, give us a rating, give us a review. We're going to make sure that we tweet out all of Tatiana's contact information so you can follow her on all of the social media channels um, and make sure to check out some of her great past races that are available on YouTube. We'll share those as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. We will be back this coming weekend with a review of the, I guess it's going to be the French Grand Prix. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. I feel like a locomotive sipping, drinking Arizona Mixtape just around the corner, did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this shit on you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like song, and my songs gon' break through like a running back